The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Brian Murphy this evening, Eric Lopez, uh, is a little swamped with things, so he couldn't join us, but uh, we'll hear from him a little bit later. But, uh, Brian, thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you, Jeffrey. I, uh, I'm, I'm, st- I'm sitting here kind of uh, in awe of, uh, of the amount of publicity that UCF is getting, which we'll talk about. From They actually measured this out from the title run. Um, what is the greatest amount of publicity that, uh, that you believe you've received over something that you actually did? Me, myself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you could put a dollar figure on it, like, what would it be? <laughs> um, I don't know. Do a lot of SPJ awards account? <laughs> like... <laughs> Maybe it was a fantasy football post. I don't know. Like, you know... You yeah. Know, like, did I don't you, know. Did you help some celebrity, like, win their pool or something? I don't know. No, I, I, I don't remember if I've helped anybody who's famous. I just I just helped the, the unwashed, unwashed masses... Um, but no, I have a, I have a very, uh, hard time of, ju- I guess, judging, uh, my own value, but I, yeah, I, I really don't know the answer to that. All right. Well, we're going to dive into how much, uh, money actually, uh, money worth of exposure UCF got from this, uh, uh, from, from this, uh, uh, title run of theirs. And that sort of made some news this week. We'll talk about women's basketball, put a wrap up on their season as their run in the women's NIT comes to an end. Uh, we have a special interview. Um, Eric sent along this uh, from his uh, In the Circle uh, softball, college softball podcast, or just general softball podcast, um, an interview with Stephanie Best, uh, UCF alum, um, all-time great hitter on the 15th anniversary of, um, of her uh, uh, record-setting performance. We'll talk a little bit about like some of the greatest individual single-game performances in UCF history, um, and plenty more on top of that, including some football schedule news and whatnot. But we start, uh, oh, by the way, uh, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. You can follow Brian at spokes underscore Murphy. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. All right, now that I got all that housekeeping out of the way, let's talk women's basketball. The uh, Knights season comes to an end at the hands of the Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa, 80-61. to This was on the heels of the overtime victory over Jacksonville in the first round. The Knights um, could not quite get it done against uh, Alabama. And uh, it was close in the first uh, after the first quarter, but then Alabama kind of turned it on in the middle two quarters and dropped twenty nine in the fourth to kind of pull away. UCF finishes the season at twenty two and eleven. Um, Z Saunders in her final game as a night nineteen points, uh, three rebounds, eight of twenty from the field, um, and also Aaliyah Gregory in her final performance. Not the best performance. Uh, uh, for, by her standards, certainly seven points on three of ten from the field. Um, it was a tough way for to s- sort of finish out the season, but uh, UCF um, 
22 and 11 this year, second straight women's NIT berth. Um, I think overall, you know, you can consider this season a success, but now they've certainly primed themselves for the next big run in the American brand. When you think back to um, this season, their second under coach Abe, um, what's the the sort of thing that you're going to look back at and say, I'm going we're going to remember this team for this. Uh, well, I think the, I mean, it's a, the one thing I'll remember from this season, it's, they did something that not many teams can say they can do, which is kind of make UConn look like mediocre. Look human. And look, <laughs> and look human. They made them look like a above average women's basketball team, other than the sort of outer worldly deity of women's basketball that they are. Uh, that game that they had against UConn um, was a rock fight, uh, which is, you know, because it's March, you have to use that term. And uh, that's really a credit to UCF um, for really slowing that game down, messing it up, uh, making it, uh, you know, hard to watch. But that's what they want to do. They're a real defensive team. They really get out and defend. And to make, you know, I think hold uh, UConn to, I think it was 55 points. I mean, they yeah. just scored 55 points in a quarter last week. <laughs> so that was one thing, even in a loss, in a double-digit loss, no less. That was uh, certainly something to remember. Yeah, held them to 55, uh, that 55-37 game back on February 7th. You know, I, I recall this, t- I'm going to recall this team as like really solidifying UCF's identity under Coach A, which I think is kind of what you were getting at, you know. Um, mm-hmm. This is this was clearly one of the better defensive teams, um, not just in the American but in the country. I think they showed that in that game against UConn, and I still think back to you know what would this be like if they hadn't had so many injuries, um, particularly on the front line with Tolu and Makore, uh, and uh, and and Fifi and Dor going down. Um, you know, next year should be very interesting with. Um, you know, obviously, KK Wright and the, uh, you know, coming back, they have some big holes to fill with Z Saunders going down, you know, or not going down, but, but you know, leaving due to graduation. And Aaliyah Gregory, who was so good last year, um, had some injury problems this year. But, you know, but you know, 22 wins, that's um, the most since 2010-2011 when they uh, won the conference. That was the second conference championship year under Joy Williams. Uh, and uh, tied for the most, I'm going back through the annals here, tied for the most since 1983-84, which was their final year in Division II um, under Joe Sanchez when UCF went 23-7, and and I made it to three, and, and got, you know, got to the NCAA Division II tournament back in the old uh, Sunshine State Conference. Well, I say the old Sunshine State Conference. It still exists, but UCF's not in it. Um, uh, now, this is the part that I'm going to what, that I really wanted to get to. Okay, segue set up. Um, after the game, all right. Uh, Greg Byrne, the uh, athletic director for the University of Alabama, tweeted, "Great win today over UCF for Alabama women's basketball. We're not ready to make it more than it was and schedule a Disney parade, but we'll definitely take it." Hashtag Roll Tide. Q UCF Athletic Director Danny White, who then tweeted, who then retweeted Byrne saying, 
our policy has been to schedule Disney parades when we win New Year's Day bowl games. We've won two in the last five years. The most recent in 2017, when we were the only undefeated team in America and national champions. If y'all want to have a parade for, a w, for WNIT wins, more power to you. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned on Twitter, I don't know how many times Danny White dunked in his college basketball career, but he's just been dunking all over people on Twitter over the past, certainly in the past week or so, and definitely within the past um, <laughs> a month. And, uh, and this dovetails nicely into what we were talking about what I wanted to talk about today, which was the um, story that came out. Doggone it, I lost it. Um, oh, here it is. Got it. About the uh, the exposure value of UCF's national championship run. Um, this is from a release from UCF. Thanks to a report compiled by Joyce Julius and Associates and UCF Athletics, the value of the exposure of UCF, obviously UCF's conference championship and 13 and 0 season and then you know obviously and and uh all the exposure after that it can now be quantified when combining national tv game broadcasts tv news coverage print media internet news and social media the value of the exposure for ucf football from november 17 2017 through january 31st 2018 was 171 million 79,417 dollars and 47 cents don't forget that forty-seven. I can't cents, forget though. the forty-seven cents. Um, mm-hmm. Combine the entire the entirety of the two, twenty seventeen UCF football season's exposure was valued at well over two hundred million, seventeen million viewers uh, for national TV broadcasts. Um, in the two weeks following the Chick Chick Fil A Peach Bowl victory and national championship, twenty-eight point four percent of the exposure value was realized from TV news coverage. 2 million exposures accounting for $8.7 million. 6,000 articles in print media across uh, in print media across more than 3,000 U.S. and Canadian publications. Um, more than 160,000 total social media posts generated by 655 million impressions on social media. Um, and this goes back to what we were talking about, how when uh, you know when Danny White turned to Eric DeSalvo on the field on the Peach Bowl with the uh, it, with the the mobile device in his hand and said "National Champs," it was the most brilliant marketing move, certainly in the history of the University of Central Florida, and certainly has to be up there in the top five or ten in the history of sports media, as far as I'm concerned, because. Look at what this did. Now, your impression of this, because, you know, you were there at the game. You were, you know, we were all following this, you, me, and Eric. I, I thought it was, you know, I, I thought it initially I was like, oh, no, don't do this. And now, and now I'm like, no, this is brilliant. What were you, th- did you think it, when you were sitting in the press box at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, did you think that, this whole thing would take the life of its own as it has not to this extent because you know when you're in the moment there uh you know we're a bunch of normies so we say well the national champion <laughs> will be decided later in this stadium uh you know between alabama and georgia uh but you know after the game you could see right away we you know we we knew that that the players thought of themselves 
as you know deserving of a shot in the national championship picture. And we asked him after the game, you know, are you national champs? And to, to a man, well, I wouldn't say to a man. Those who did answer the question would say, yes, yes, we are national champs. Like Jemias Pittman said, definitely national champs. Uh, there were some other guys who didn't want to go that far, uh, but did say they deserve a chance to play for the national title. You know, they're only undefeated team. And you thought, you know, this had probably has some legs. It's certainly, you know, a good marketing tagline for the, for the program. And this has some legs. But to Danny's credit, uh, to Eric DeSalvo's credit, uh, to the whole athletics department who really got behind this and pushed it, to, an, to, to anyone outside UCF, to an annoying extent, it's fantastic. It plays really well. Uh, you know, everybody else, everybody at UCF loves it because, you know, you, you get to put your brand out there. You get to see, you know, UCF on national news. Uh, and you know, the one thing I don't understand is why the people that hate UCF for this think it's annoying and think they're, they're, they're talking too loud and they're, they're, they're climbing up, uh, you know, they're, they're doing things they shouldn't do. Like, why do you keep bringing it up? Like what Alabama did after the, the women's IT win by poking the bear, what are you <laughs> right. doing? What are you, what are you doing? You are making it worse for yourself. Like, don't do this. You don't need to do this because all you're doing is you're feeding into what Danny White wants you to do. He right. wants you to talk about this, and that's what you're doing. So just like to, my advice to anybody who hates UCF, you know, about like for, for all of this talk that they've done and self-promotion and self-aggrandizing, don't respond to it because that's it's, what they want you to do. It's the ultimate troll job. It is the it ultimate is. troll job because <laughs> – and it's it's funny because you know number one rule of PR like you know if you could have if you're Alabama or the SEC you could have squashed this thing really easily by just not giving it oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. but, Absolutely. But this this is why it played into it perfectly because it becomes the ultimate David versus Goliath story, right? You know every you know essentially everyone around the country, you know, I I think we're in an environment here where Unless you're an Alabama fan, you probably hate Alabama. And unless you're an SEC fan, you probably hate the SEC, right? They're mm -hmm. two polarizing things. And, you know, when Alabama gives it oxygen, that gives everyone else who's like, you know, you know neither an Alabama fan nor an SEC fan license, or, or I should say a USF fan like Colin Sherwin, um, to kind of, you know, gives everybody license to kind of be like, ha, 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 this is great. UCF is just trolling Alabama again. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and everyone just kind of sits back and watches. And, um, and you know, I, I had a, uh, a back and forth with, um, with Colin Sherwin, um, you know, who we've had on the show before. And he's really, he's really nice, nice dude. Although he's, you know, he, you know, obviously he's, he loves to troll UCF fans, which you know, great, whatever. I mean, if that's if that's your thing, you know, you you do you, brother. But so he said uh, uh, in in a discussion uh, that I had with him on the banner at Twitter account, he said, "I take a lot of that, but that boldness and creativity over here, that's for sure. But the side effect of being mocked nationally ain't helping your cause. I mean, giving UCF national championships and everything now is a meme and not a good one because." 
there were some there there were some uh, things about how um, you know it's you know Louisville you know when Louisville the Louisville national championship UCF basically somebody I think went on Wikipedia and like changed the you know Louisville's national championship to UCF saying that we declared ourselves national champions yeah yeah which, which was which I I thought was great and I'm like. This is don't you see? This is great. You you just keep the thing going, even though you're trying mm-hmm. to tell us to shut up and don't do it and stop and you look ridiculous. We're like, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Why would we care? This is great. If if every if UCF could declare itself national champions for every undeclared national championship, which by the way, this isn't UCF declaring itself a national champion, but whatever. We we've gone into that before. But I'm like this is just great. Just keep, I'm like, keep giving an oxygen, man, because you're just getting UCF out there and out there and out there. And it's just, it's, it is a, it is truly, I I wrote this before, hacking the news cycle because Mm -hmm. it just doesn't stop. They, and they, they, they can't quit us. They just can't quit UCF. Can they? No, I, I think like they deserve a lot of credit too. Like, like, Paul Feinbaum deserves a lot of credit because his vitriol. It's almost like he's uh, in on it. Yeah, it's like it's like well, I got, I'm going to pump him up, but I'm going to do it in a backhanded way, and so I'm going to. But like, I understand like you need things to talk about to fill like a three hour radio show or to fill like every sports center that airs every day. Like you need content, and sometimes you you have to go to this, but. But by by using UCF and then debating it, like really actually debating it on a national level, gave it total legitimacy, legitimacy that it wouldn't have earned without it, without it. It would have just been a school chirping into the vacuum of space, the vacuum of social media. (laughs) But then it gets picked up and these nationally televised and nationally syndicated hosts who have millions of followers on social media – are now debating it like it's a real thing we have to worry about when it totally wasn't. It was right. just a marketing scheme. And and it still it still breathes, it still smolders to this day. And which is why, you know, Danny White has currently is in is one of the five nominees for athletic director of the year. I forget from what branch or who's who's deciding that. But like, how is it not Danny White? He created a national discussion or was the driver behind a national discussion that still breathes months after the fact. It's amazing. Sports Business Journal, by the way, is the uh, is the nominee is the person mm-hmm. doing the nominating. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a, it was a total masterstroke, and I think we'll leave it here with this: is that um, they opened up the conversation on, you know, is the college football playoff really a playoff? And or or does the emperor have new clothes? Is this really just mm-hmm. just the BCS but with four teams instead of two? And I think that's that's the larger conversation that is going to play itself out over the next eight to ten years, or at least until the next contract comes up. Is um, is what happens? What happens next? What's the next thing that when when the conversation pops up about should they expand the playoff? Whom, to whom do they expand the playoff? You know, do you do just conference champions? Do you mm-hmm. have a group of five representative? You know, automatically get in all that kind of stuff. That that will always um, 
this season will always come up as the test case. And I think that's the most important service that UCF has done um, to the to the college sports landscape is um, is not letting anyone think that the fight is over now that we have a four team playoff because it's not. So the fight for legitimacy for um, uh, the the uh, college football um, FBS teams um, continues in earnest uh, for mm-hmm. UCF after that. So totally, totally. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. I hope I just everyone, please keep giving it oxygen. The more, the merrier. (laughs) It's just so much fun. (laughs) All right. Let's take a uh, quick breather. When we get back, Brian will chat some baseball and uh, we'll have uh, and we'll have Eric Lopez uh, hop on to talk about um, his interview with Stephanie Best. And we'll talk a little bit about um, what we think might be the greatest individual performances in UCF athletics history. Single game individual performances is what we're going to be talking about. So stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret. On Twitter, Jeff Sharon and Brian Murphy with you here. We're going to flip over to baseball. We'll talk with uh, this is this is Murph's specialty. I always I I'm just trying to I'm I'm just trying to be the point guard here. I'm just trying to set you up for some set you up for some buckets here, Brian. Because uh, uh, well, it was a 38 to one three day weekend for UCF against Chicago State, um, sweeping uh, sweeping Chicago State as they did, making it look easy as they should have. 
before they went up to Tallahassee and lost a couple, uh, a couple, uh, four to six, or excuse me, six to four on Tuesday, followed by thirteen to three on Wednesday. So, um, in lieu of giving you the Tony Kornheiser question of you know where are we now, um, <laughs> we expected what was going to happen to Chicago State happening to Chicago State against mm-hmm. UCF. That's not a surprise. Um, what about these two games against Florida State? Were you expecting it, it? Is did that play out as you expected? I think for the first fifteen of the eighteen innings in this two game series, I would say yeah, it was close. Um, there were some mistakes that UCF made, uh, but you'd expect you know a really hard challenge from a top ten team at their own house. Um, you know, at last night, or I should say Tuesday night, you know, Jordan Spicer was kind of uneven. Uh, he's been kind of inconsistent on the mound and he had one of his, I would say bad starts, uh, yesterday. Um, but today, you know, Thad Ward came in, uh, was really quite, quite good. He went, uh, uh, five innings, struck out eight. Um, you know, not, it, it wasn't perfect. He did walk some guys, gave up some runs, but UCF was trailing today uh, four to three going into the bottom of the sixth. And then that's kind of where the wheels fell off. Uh, Cree Fenfrock was brought in. Cree's been basically unhittable this season. I believe he had not given a run in his nine and two thirds innings this season. Um, He didn't have his command today. I think he had three walks. He gave up some runs in the sixth. His official line was one inning, uh, three runs, two earned, two walks. And then they brought in. Uh, so then it was seven to three. They brought in Jeffrey Hackinson, a freshman who's been OK. And uh, today he could not get an out. Literally, uh, he he allowed four runs, three, two walks, a hit. Um, there was a wild pitch. And uh, so he faced four batters. They all reached and they all scored in uh, the final end of being 13 to three. I think people are obviously dismayed at the result, but. You know, it's you're going to have some bad nights like this was a this was a really bad night. Like the pitching wasn't good, but also the hitting the hitting was bad. You know, when it was seven to three, top seven, they had bases loaded, nobody out. And uh, then UCF proceeded to uh, have the next three hitters go down swinging or actually go down just uh, striking out. I think it was two strikeout swingings and then one looking. So and a chance to get back into a game after you, after FSU had gotten the lead up before they squandered it. And then the big inning came. There were four errors in this game. Uh, defense, surprisingly, remains a big problem for this team. Uh, they're, they're, I believe they lead the American Conference in errors committed. Um, I have to look that up. But uh, that was the case last week against Miami. So there's some, definitely some things to work on. But I think overall, it's just like you burn the film for this from this Wednesday game. Like this Wednesday game was not something you need to remember or work on. Like there are things you can work on without looking at the film of this game. And now they... They move forward into, quote-unquote, the season that counts, which is conference play against East Carolina starting on Friday night. So I think this goes one of two ways, right? Either it's the the, the wake-up call you need to say, hey, guys, we still need to get better if you're Greg Lovelady, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're not as good as we may have thought we were when we won 13 in a row, and we, ha- and we have to buckle down as their next game is the conference opener, uh, three-game set with ECU coming up. Um, is it that or is it, you know, you know what, let's not worry about it. Conference play, just forget it ever happened. 
Well, coaches are going to use anything they can to harp on to improve. I mean, I mean, you see Gino, Gino R.M. We talked about the UConn women's Huskies earlier. Gino has to do this for his team, even in games where they win by 50 or 60, because you got to keep them focused. So I'm sure we're a game yeah, like does this. Does anyone well, really believe him? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. No, but he's going to make his players believe it. Like the media knows it's a show, but he's going to he's going to drive it home to his players that, hey, you might have won, you know, 142 to 50. But there was these things we should work on. So while this was probably not the best game for Greg Lovelady and crew to sit through in Tallahassee, uh, you kind of do come back and they, they will use. I don't know if they'll practice tomorrow. I'll actually be I actually will be uh, meeting with uh, Coach Lovelady and I hope a couple of the players tomorrow. Um, so I'll, I'll see what they're doing. But this is sort of like a nice reset to like, you know, things were going smoothly. They had that 13 game winning streak that was broken up by Miami. And then they responded to that by having this 38 to one shellacking weekend over a team that just really is not in their It's not who's not in their viewfinder. Like you just, you know, it's a throwaway weekend. This kind of gets you back on track of like, this is the, what we need to do to play championship baseball and, and to be. And to make a deeper run in the NCAA tournament, we we had some success against Virginia, had some success, obviously, against Florida, who was number one. Um, but this is sort of a humbling moment, especially tonight, Wednesday night, where everything went wrong. Uh, nothing was really good. It was one of the worst games of the year, I would say, bar none, uh, to say, look, we need to focus back in on all these things and not think we can take these wins for granted. By the way, Cincinnati right now has the most errors of any team in the American with 24. Four, UCF is second, though, tied with Houston at 21. So, And they, they made four tonight. Now, uh, Cincinnati, oh, yeah. I don't know their schedule, but that would depending on who they played and what they did, UCF now has a conference leading 25. And this is surprising in that, you know, one of the big talking points, at least the preseason, was like the defense is going to be better because Matthew Micah is, you know, one of the best defensive second basemen in the conference. Uh, and that, you know, Brandon Hernandez – is a tremendous, you know, fielder at short and that their outfield's more athletic. So they're going to be, you know, saving balls in the gap and stuff like that. But it's, it's not been pretty. It really is. It's been some times where it's like, wow, this it's not good. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a, I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's as bad as you could have possibly imagined, like this, you know, maybe he, maybe love lady was just, was just sort of feeding us lines and trying to pump up the team to, 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 to kind of gloss over their defensive weaknesses. But uh, defensively, this team has been poor. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to pull it together real, real quick because coming up is East Carolina. And as we look at the standings in the American, um, ECU right now, 16-4 and four, uh, mm-hmm. overall. So that right now they're actually, even though we don't have any conference games played until Friday, they're, sit- they're sitting in first place. Uh, Wichita's at fourteen and four in second. UCF's seventeen and six. They're in third. USF sixteen and six. They're in fourth. Now this is before conference plays obviously started, but we know about um, we know about ECU and last year this, the team that they had where um, they really just had a shockingly bad regular season. Everything and, went wrong. Yeah, everybody got wrong. hurt. Everybody got hurt, and, and then they pulled it together in the tournament and got mm-hmm. within one game of winning the whole thing anyway, out of the eight seat, out of the dead last seat. Um, they come in number one in the conference and earn run average as a team at 2.15. UCF incidentally is second at 2.43. And 
And if you look at the hitting statistics, pretty much everywhere you look, it's, it's the same three teams. It's some combination in the, in the hitting statistics, team hitting statistics so far, of UCF, USF, and ECU. Team batting average, on-base percentage, runs scored, you name it. So mm-hmm. this is a critical test right off the bat for UCF against ECU. We know about Cliff Godwin, who used to coach here under Terry Rooney, uh, moved on to take the ECU job and has been there ever since. Big three-game set to open the conference conference slate. What do we think about this? Is, it, is this a um, – I mean, th- this is probably as big a test right off the bat, no pun intended, uh, of – that that they that they face all year, you know, as this blank slate, you know, is going to be no longer blank after Friday. Yeah, and it's going to be really fun to watch if you like good pitching. Um, Greg Lovelady announced his rotation for the series back uh, on Sunday and said it would be Joe Sheridan on Friday, Chris Williams on Saturday, JJ Montgomery moving into the weekend for Sunday. That's why you had Jordan Spicer and Thad Ward pitch in Tallahassee. Uh, so uh, tackling the UCF pitching staff first, which again, yes, like you said, uh, like right there with ECU, uh, you know, the best, if not second best, uh, or second best, if not the best, you know, pitching staff in the conference. Uh, and those are the right three guys to be pitching this series. Uh, Joe Sheridan is, you know, quote the, oh, you know, overused cliche, but he is a gamer. He really fights. He's got a good sinking fastball. He just seems to give them a solid start whenever they need it. You know, they needed him to give they needed him to give, you know, the team seven innings, six, seven innings after the bullpen game against Bradley that went 13 innings uh, last Tuesday. And he did against Miami. He pitched really well against Miami and kind of got stuck with a loss there. Uh, Chris Williams was the Friday night starter opening the season and has been basically the entire year. Uh, I think they value his experience. In that role, uh, more than anything, I think stuff-wise, he's clearly third among the three guys uh, in that rotation. But I think the experience and that he's pitched pretty well earns him a spot. And then J.J. Montgomery had to be among the three. Like, he has been a a phenom thus far for UCF. He's a tremendous strikeout pitcher, big power-breaking ball, mid-90s fastball. Uh, really dominant, you know, in midweek starts. So to see him pitch in the weekend on conference play is going to be great. Um, but on the other side, for the Pirates, <clears throat> you know, if, if if their weekend rotation lines up as I assume it will, and they'll be so you have to be facing Trey Benton, Chris Holba, and Tyler Smith on the weekend. The highest ERA among those three guys is Benton at one six nine. He has struck out thirty six batters in thirty two innings with two walks. Chris Holba struck out 35 in 30 innings with four walks. And Tyler Smith has also only walked three in 23 and a third. Mm. Uh, and again, they don't have an ERA above 1.7. Uh, it's going to be tre- it, it going to be tremendous baseball if you love low scoring games. Um, you know, and we'll see if UCF and we'll see if UCF bullpen can rebound a little bit. The, the Finfrock thing against FSU tonight, Wednesday night, you know, I think was like, you know, one of those things where it, you're going to have a bad outing. And he did. Um, he's given up some walks, uh, more walks recently. So maybe there's a problem with his command and, and some mechanical issues he needs to fix. But uh, he's been stellar. And then obviously you, you look at Garrett Westberg and Bryce Tucker and Eric Heppel and those guys have been nails. So it's going to be fantastic. If you if you enjoy three, two baseball games, 
Um, which again, I understand it's an acquired taste, but it also means you're probably going to get out of there within like three hours or less. Then you're going to enjoy this series. One other thing I wanted to point out about ECU, they also have four of the top 16 hitters among qualifiers in the American two by batting average. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brady Lloyd right now is second in the conference in average at 434 behind Ryland Thomas. They're the only two guys who are hitting over 400 right now this season. Jake Washer is fourth in the league at 385. He's got um, he's got five doubles to his credit. Lloyd, interestingly enough, no home runs, only seven runs batted in, but his on base percentage is 508. Um, Bryant Packard uh, this season for ECU hitting 354, uh, and then also um, Connor Litton at 333. So. This is no slouch in terms of bat in, in terms of uh, in terms of average for this uh, East Carolina team. Um, any concerns right now about you know that you know yeah it might be a low scoring um, might be three low scoring games but they can hit a little bit too no yeah and I think what's interesting about ECU is like you look at those averages and like wow they're just bashing the hell the hell out of the ball and they're really not <laughs> like they're just they getting on base. Of- yeah, like they're 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 beating you with a thousand cuts, basically. Um, they have thirteen home runs to the team. That's not a very high amount after twenty games at all. Um, but a lot of these guys don't strike out a whole lot. You know, Brady Lloyd, who you said is leading the team at four thirty four. Um, you know, he's only slugging four seventy two, which isn't great. But he struck out only twelve times in fifty three at bats. Uh, Jake Washer, 10, 10 strikeouts. In 52 at bats, they get they they make you field the ball. They 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 put the ball in play, uh, which is also fun to watch. If you like baseball, you understand that one of the problems with the sport right now is the three true outcomes. With only baseball has you know a third of the action in the game is a strikeout, a walk, and a home run. There's really no ball on the field. ECU is going to make you get them out. They're going to put the ball in play. They're going to make contact. They're going to go gap to gap. Um, and they're just going to get on base. Um, so it'll be interesting. We, you know, we, I talked just a minute, a minute ago about how UCF's defense has struggled. And they're going to need to be, they're going to need to be, uh, you know, tip top shape to, to really defend the CCU team. That's going to make them work for every out. Well, the game uh, Friday, and it's a big one, 6.30 PM on UCF TV at John Juliano park, 6.30 Friday, 6.30 Saturday, 1 PM on Sunday. All those games will be on UCF TV. Um, we are expecting Friday night uh, this to be uh, the grand opening of John mm-hmm. U- the all the brand new John Juliano Park. They are expecting to uh, at least last we heard, and we're recording this on Wednesday night, two nights beforehand. Uh, we are expecting um, this uh, that that game to be the grand opening. The upper decks will be uh, ready to go behind home plate. The the boxes and all that kind of stuff should be ready and open. So um, at least that's the last I heard. You too, right? Yeah, I asked about it again uh, before the Miami game, and uh, I had a source that said, "Yeah, it's still on track." So the, right. you know, it was a, initially it was supposed to be open for the Florida series, the home and home against Florida. That didn't happen due, due to a delay in shipping materials or a shipping delay in materials. Um, but, yeah, this is supposed to be Friday. Supposed to have the home, the, the, the new uh, home plate tower section open, you know, with the, the suite area and the, the second level seats. Like, obviously, the park's been open, you know, but a lot of people have had to stand for the big games. Obviously, you remember the weekend, the opening weekend, 
where it was just people standing, you know, six, seven rows deep to watch Virginia or to watch Rice. Um, But this should be, yeah, it should be a really nice atmosphere. And I hope to get some good uh, comments from from coach tomorrow on, you know, having this thing actually be real after it being in discussions for years. I mean, I, I think it was uh, one of the, Anthony George, who I think is a senior junior said like, yeah, they've been talking about this since before I was a freshman. It's true. Yeah. Like this has been in the works for years. There have been plans to expand this park actually going back as far. I can remember back to when I was a student, they were mm-hmm. thinking about it too, you know, like, Hey, one day we're going to expand this. We're going to, you know, put put seats down the line, you know, more seats down the line. We're going to expand the press box. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, we're going to have to try and get this thing ready. You know, maybe one day host a regional. Um, I don't know. It is Will it be ready to host a regional? Is I don't know that. that. We got to find that out. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I'm not ask, sure either. <laughs> I will ask, but I'll be I will bet that I don't get an answer on that because no one's going to want to say like, yeah. Because then, then the the you know no one's gonna want to count those eggs yet, you know. Especially right. in baseball, I don't think anybody's gonna say like, yeah, we're preparing for a regional here. Uh, they're gonna take, they're gonna give me the whole one game at a time thing. We're not looking that far ahead. Uh, even you know people who don't play might say the same well, thing. Well, yeah, but but like, ask, is it is it like with the expansion, right? It, is it does John Juliano Park, I guess, I guess right now this season qualify as? You know, if we did host a regional, we could. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that's the whole point. And I mean, really, once to you know, once Friday comes and they open up the entire stadium, then the rest of you know what needs to be worked on is basically vanity stuff. You know, there's a lot of exposed dirt and electrical wiring and 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 construction uh, vehicles that sort of litter the out the outer grounds of the stadium, like. It doesn't look great on the outside. It kind of looks like a working construction zone, uh, which it has been for months. But on the inside, it'll be it'll be. Yeah, I think it'll be receptive to if they need to host a regional, if they're put in the position to host a regional, uh, they will. And I think that's the whole point. Yeah, a little landscaping here and there. It should be fine. I did it over the weekend at my house. I mean, you know, it's, it's not that hard. You know, I mean, baseball is all about getting dirty. So fans can come in. Yeah, there they you can, go. They can the roll around. <laughs> yeah, before they come in, before you scan your ticket, roll around in the mounds of, expo- of exposed dirt right in front of the stadium. You know, get get part, get acclimated to baseball. Now, I thought I saw a thing. I'll have to find out about this. I thought I saw that they were going to have like a little like play area for the kids too. Is that is that yeah down the. Okay. Down yeah, the left. Yeah, yeah, the children's activity. Down the down is the left field. Be, is that going to be ready too? I don't know. I haven't asked for that. Oh, I man, did know. I do. I do know that. See, this is only important to me and maybe a few others. But because the, there's obviously you know there's two stories now mm-hmm. that the elevator the elevator Jeffrey will be working in working this order a, come Friday night. This is significantly this is important. Big time deal stuff here. Uh, and so, yeah. So, just want to let you know if you if you need assistance, if you if you have accessibility issues, uh, like myself, the elevator is there. The elevator will be your friend. And I thought, you know, I was told before the season that they didn't think the elevator would be ready until maybe May. So this is this is big. This is big time stuff. I, literally, I'm hijacking the "this is big" UCF <laughs> tagline to to stamp it on a working elevator at a baseball big. stadium. There you go. Well. Well, I'm looking forward to it. You know, my son, who just turned four, he's really looking forward to it. So we're going to be there on Friday. Uh, and uh, I know you'll be there on Friday, so it should be, uh, should be a lot of fun. I, so 
I will I will not be there on Friday, which oh, is why I'm oh. I, I'm really glad you'll be there. Yeah, I know. I've gotten a lot of like like you know bulging eyes and you know clutching pearl reactions when I say like I'm not going to be there Friday for the grand opening. I have a family engagement that I can't miss, but I'm glad you'll be there. Priorities, and, uh, priorities. That's why. That's you why know. we you know we're listen. We're a team effort here at BlackGoldBanner.com. <laughs> it's you know we back each other up. That's what we do. I I think I'm not certain, but I believe I will be there Saturday. So that'll right. be the best I can do. Cool. None, nonetheless, I'll make sure I'll 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 test the elevator for you. Yeah, well, I think I'm going to do it tomorrow. I think I'm going to be out there tomorrow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can, like, can I go up in it. Like, can I be the first person to ride this non roller coaster roller coaster? It, but listen, it, before we do, before we do the toilet flush test, we have to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't understand. You don't understand. Like I'm, I'm so excited. I, I want to make. I want to go up on this elevator tomorrow. And no one, no one in the history of the Republic has been this excited to go in an elevator <laughs> than. This man, right now, uh, hopefully tomorrow, hopefully Thursday, hopefully I get a, a sneak peek, right. a, a, a advanced advanced screening. I, I'm expecting I'm expecting some video to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, send it over. We'll have a full preview on Black and Gold Banner. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna write. I'm probably gonna write an article for before Friday about the the opening of the series and you know the the stadium expansion. But it might the article might just be scrapped. For about twelve hundred words, basically on an elevator. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Switching gears to the other diamond, let's talk a little UCF softball. Um, and they are starting conference play this weekend too. By the way, they have Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Tulsa. Um, Friday, five thirty conference opener at the UCF softball complex, followed by Saturday at two, Sunday at noon um, to start their conference play. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, here's UCF softball sliding in now. They're starting their conference play. Their schedule sort of spreads out. No more of these crazy tournaments now that they're going to be, that they're going to be having. But, um, UCF right now stands at 18 and 12. Memphis leads the conference right now. Overall records at 21 and seven. Houston's 19 and eight. Tulsa's 19 and 11. Uh, but as we, uh, the Knights, interestingly enough, uh, came off of a split of a double header, uh, on Wednesday, earlier Wednesday, six to one victory over Princeton, followed by a seven to four uh, loss in the uh, well. We could don't have the box scores just yet from this game, but um, that was their final non-conference doubleheader before conference play starts. They still do have some non-conference games coming up with Bethune Cookman this coming Tuesday, uh, Florida on Wednesday, April the fourth. Uh, North Florida on Wednesday, April the 11th. You know, some w- midweek stuff, and then they have that. Uh, yeah, but uh, but now they begin focus on conference play. And it was another interesting um, anniversary uh, coming up on Friday, um, or, or actually a little bit earlier this week. It was the 15th anniversary of maybe the greatest single-game individual performance in UCF history and arguably in the history of college softball. Stephanie Best, who, um, you know, when I was a student, um, Stephanie and I were freshmen at the same time, graduated at the same time. Um, I covered her all four years as a student uh, with UCF softball. And it's amazing how spoiled we were having a player like Stephanie when we did. We didn't, we, we, it's funny, we just thought it would always be that great. <laughs> but, um, you know, on top of, you know, all of her, uh, the records that she set, you know, not just UCF records, but her name is all over the NCAA softball record books. 
Um, she is arguably, uh, well, not arguably, certainly, her greatest game came 15 years ago this week, uh, where uh, against Army at the old UCF softball complex, which used to be, remember this, Brian? Actually, well, I don't know if you remember this. It used to be down the hill from the baseball stadium. And well, yeah, no, because that means I would have to go up the hill to get out of it. So no, I, I don't remember at all. It used to be where the um, there's a there's a dorm tower there now, but um, it used to be um, like sort of you know the right field foul pole was mm-hmm. um, was almost like a, it was a few hundred feet behind, if you will, home plate of the baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if you hit a home run to right, it, it, there was a little berm there, and you could hit it, like, almost up the berm toward the toward the ticket booth for the baseball stadium back then. So Stephanie Best against Army that week in a game that was shortened but because of the run rule uh, had 11 runs batted in, three home runs, two of them were grand slams, and they took and they took place in the same inning. So she's Jesus. the only player in the history of college softball to do that, to hit two grand slams in one inning. Uh all-time record for RBIs by a single player with 11. So, uh, now Eric Lopez who like we mentioned um has this podcast off because he's super busy right now, but uh his other podcast that he works with is called uh which he's mentioned many times is called uh, In the Circle. Uh, he covers uh, softball for InTheCircle.com, and they have a podcast. Uh, and earlier uh, this week, he caught up with Stephanie Best, who runs now her own um, her own uh, uh, coaching business um, called Pro Swings. You can check that out as well. Um, but he caught up with Stephanie just to look back at that uh, performance and uh, and her time at UCF. And we have that interview here. So here is. Uh, Eric Lopez with former UCF softball great and UCF Hall of Famer, Stephanie Best. All right, joining us now is the UCF Athletics Hall of Famer, first softball inductee in 2015, and of course, uh, one of the greats in college softball history, holds three NCAA records that she accomplished 15 years ago this week. She hit two grand slams in the inning back on March 19, 2003, when UCF played Army. That tied the end, still the NCAA record for most grand slams in an inning with two, most grand slams in a game with two, and she also had an NCAA record 11 RBI. She went on to have a great career at UCF where she holds all the significant offensive records, Is went on to the pros, won an MPF championship with the Washington Glory in 2007. I speak of Stephanie Best, who joins us now. That's a lot of uh, criteria. That's a lot of, uh, you know, titles there for you. Congrats on all that, <laughs> first of all. Uh, thank you, Ela. That was a pretty great uh, introduction there. Thank you for that. All right, so we are at the 15-year mark, March 19th, depending when people listen to this. We're airing this first uh, air array on that anniversary of that day where you had that significant game, three home runs, which is still a UCF school record, the 11 RBI, still an NCAA record. To put it for folks in perspective, only four people have had 11 RBIs in the history of college softball. Only three people have hit two grand slams in an inning, and only 11 people have hit two grand grand slams in a game, period. You're on all those three lists, so – 
What what jumps in your head when you think back to that game? <laughs> um, I don't know. I the softball gods were with me that day for sure. Uh, it was a special day. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool, and uh, it kind of makes me feel old a little bit too. If that was 15 years ago, I think I'm a little bit in denial of how old I've gotten. So, uh, but it's really exciting. I still live close by UCF and uh, UCF obviously was it's four of the best years of my life getting to play for the university so um, it's really cool just to get to be on this side now and get to reminisce um, about some of those special memories and, and teammates so it's, it's a lot of fun just getting this phone call from you to get to put myself back in that uh, that time frame. Yeah, at the time, you really became the second person to do it. The, the other names that have done this, by the way, Stacy White of Missouri State was the first person to do it back in April 29, 2000. She hit two grand slams in an inning. That was in the sixth inning. Laura Boning of St. Louis against Rhode Island did it May 3rd of 2013. She did it in the seventh inning. You did it in the second inning. So you got shortchanged because your game went five innings. You're the only one that could hit two grand slams in an inning in a five-inning <laughs> game. Um but what I mean was what was like what was it like in that game? Were you just locked in in a zone? What take me through that uh, that inning? UCF scored 14 runs in that ball game against Army, so obviously they batted around, and your teammates were a big part of that getting on base. So it's a lot of uh, of, of people helping you accomplish these records. But what was that like as you're coming to the plate in the second inning, back to back grand slams? Um, I mean, I think you're right. I think. The whole team was just seeing the ball really well that day. Um, and sometimes as a hitter, you just have those really good days where you, you're seeing the ball well and it's coming in like a beach ball. And uh, thankfully, that was just one of those days. My, you know, everybody was getting on base. So obviously, those records don't happen if our team's not being productive as a whole. So um, I think I was just fortunate enough and got an opportunity to get up a second time and uh, because the bases were loaded, <laughs> it got to happen again. So, Yeah, two grand slams. Of note, uh, everybody in your lineup scored at least one run. That is a remarkable. Janae Schittenhoster scored two runs. She was the leadoff hitter that day. Rochelle Schmidt scored three runs. So they, they got on base. After, as that game is going on, were you even aware what you were doing? Definitely not at the time. I mean, we were essentially still a brand new program at that time. It was two years of the program's existence. Uh, and I just know we were all so happy. I mean, our field, we, we got to play in this beautiful, newly done field at the time. That's still when there was no such thing as uh, all the growth and maturity that has happened around UCF. Everything was just still so brand new to us. And we were excited to play every single game, as cliche as that sounds. So I don't think at the time any of us knew what was happening or any of the history that I think as a whole the team made those first couple years. Yeah, no, it, second year, we'll get into how you got to UCF. Uh, what was it like after the game? You win eight, UCF won the game 18-2 to two in five innings. Did anybody bring up the fact you had just set all these NCAA records? What was like? What was kind of a? It was a weird because it was a Wednesday afternoon game, uh, midweek typical game. Army's in town because they're trying to get games in in this Florida and everything like that. Uh, what was the talk as you know after the game? Did people start bringing it? When was the first time you even heard that? Hey, you just set this NCAA record. 
Um, I, you know, Elo, I don't remember the exact time. Um, I think everybody at the time just thought it was cool. Um, you know, it wasn't really a normal thing, uh, that happened. So everybody just thought it was kind of cool. Everybody's really supportive about it. But there is who, you know, him, Chris Tuno, yep. um, who back in my day, he's the guy knows and remembers everything sports related. He was at SID for the baseball program. Um, and he took note of us and particularly he and I became really good friends and I'm sure I, I don't know for a fact when he called, but I know he was the guy that would have known this and would have told me it immediately. Cause he actually, after it happened again, I can remember vividly him sending me a text about the, the girl in St. Louis who did it. Um, so I know Chris was, he was so savvy with finding out numbers and seeing what's going on it would have had to be chris tuno for sure who let me know of kind of what a cool feat that actually was chris tuno by the way currently is a media relations for the st louis cardinals in major league baseball so that's a that's a good name drop right there uh for people that may not be aware of that um it's been 15 years. Are you surprised you still hold those three NCAA records considering, you know, back when you were playing, offense wasn't as prominent as it is now and we'll get into the all the all the equipment side of things, but are you still surprised that you still hold those NCAA records? Um yeah, I mean, I think three home runs in a game is uh it's it's a pretty rare thing. Um so I'm I'm excited. I'm still a part of kind of what's going on, but like you said, the hitters are just unbelievable. And, you know, what we've been able to see in the recent history, even um, Lauren Chamberlain, Tia Romero, people like that in the more recent years have just completely destroyed most of the records, made history. So I think for me now and kind of where I'm at in my professional career, I, I just think it's so cool watching these young players make make history now and do what they're doing. So I think um, I don't know if I I would say surprise. I mean, you only get three at bats sometimes in a game, four at bats yeah. uh, at most typically. So I think numbers wise, as far as respecting the numbers part of the game, uh, I still think that's going to be something that'll be hard for for any player to do, even on our luckiest day. Um, but what's going on now in the game is, is truly incredible, and it's so fun to watch. And the home runs have become such a huge part of the game now, which, like you said, it just wasn't like that then. No, um, no it wasn't. But now it's such a mainstay. The, the social media, the TV coverage, it, it makes these current players like superstars, so it's, it's really fun to watch. And it's fun to watch people beat records and chase records that's so much a part of the fun of the game. So I'm excited now, like our, our the UCF freshman that's doing so much great stuff. Like that excites me more. Like, all right, it's, when is she going to do it? It's going to happen. Uh, when is she going to do it? And it's going to be really fun watching her journey to get there. Speaking of Caitlin Jensen, a freshman kid out of UCF, hit six home runs this season, already the fastest UCF player to ever get to six home runs in her first six home runs of her career, breaking your record and Janae Shinhoster's record, uh, trying to chase down both your freshman records uh, on that. And it was funny you bring that up because she hit two home runs up in San Diego against Long Beach State. And that's how your game came up again. That's the thing. Every time an UCF player has a big game, that game gets brought up or one of your records gets brought up because, oh, you know, a player had six RBIs. That's great. That's not even close to the score record. 
<laughs> All right, you know, so when in doubt, they just check your record book. I mean, I think actually the people were looking at it. I think there's only like 10 or 15 offensive records that you do not hold. And most of those have to do with stolen bases or sacrifice hits. Like CeCe Alvarez, your former teammate, owns a ton of sacrifice hits. Kaylee Novak, who works with you at Pro Swings, which we'll get into, uh, is the stolen base all-time record holder. Um, Janae Shinhoster, your team, former teammates, the record holder in doubles, things like that. But as far as batting average, slugging, on base, you hold all of those records. So every time somebody's doing something, uh, your name gets brought up. And when Jensen hit the two home runs, people are wondering, well, what's the school record? Well, that's easy. That was Steph's three home run game 15 years ago, which is still the school record. The NCAA record is four. And I know you knew that because in the past when we've talked about this game, one of the things you bring up is you still remember the one at bat that you didn't hit a home run, uh, uh, which is pretty remarkable that you remember that. I mean, but that's what great players do. They always remember these little details. So tell the audience, because you have brought this up, that, that still bothers you to some extent that you thought, you know, man, that, that you could have had a, even a bigger day. <laughs> no, I, I, I did. I, I kicked myself. My fourth at bat, the very first pitch was right down the middle. I could visualize it clear as day right now for whatever reason that will probably never leave my mind. It, uh, I think it's what probably keeps you humble. Um, but, yeah, I had the first three at bats, it was all off different pitchers. And the fourth at bat, uh, they put a different pitcher in again. And the – the player and the coach were like yelling back and forth on the field. And she was literally saying, I'm not, I don't want to throw to her. And he's like, throw to her, get better. Like, this is your opportunity. So I thought just a mistake on my part. Like I, she was arguing with the coach out loud saying she didn't want to throw a strike. So I didn't expect it to happen. And sure enough, she just pipes one right down the middle and I looked at it. So um, after that, I think, uh, obviously I was like, all right, she, she's going to be throwing. So I remember I hit a line drive right at the shortstop, but was so frustrated because that whole beach ball thing that I talked about before that first pitch there, there probably wasn't a prettier pitch that I got the entire day. Uh, and I let that one go. So that was totally on me. And, uh, yeah, so I haven't forgotten about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did all right there. Um, so if I gave you a choice, you have the record right now, NCAA record, 11 RBIs in a game. You have the record for two grand slams in an inning, two grand slams in a game. You also, people don't realize, you led the NCAA in home runs your senior year in 2005. Uh, you hit 26. Uh, of those accomplishments I just mentioned, if I told you, okay, you're guaranteed to keep one of those records, accomplishments, which one would you keep? Oh, gosh. Can I get rid of one? Can oh. I get rid of my errors? And- <laughs> I didn't include that in the, in the list. That does, nobody needs to know that stuff. I mean, you know, it's- oh, gosh. Uh, if I could keep one. Um, I don't know. It was obviously that that game was incredible to have. Um, to, to get to have a title of knowing you hit the most home runs in the country is probably something I'm most proud of. Uh, my senior year was leading the country in home runs. So that's something like I that, you know, it's it's one of those things after it's all said and done, you get to look back and be like, all right, that, that happened that year. It can't change. Um, so I'd say that's one of the cool things that uh, that I stuck. Or I think when when people talk about myself or pro swings, that typically is one of the things that's mentioned, the home run 
the home run hitting part. So that's a pretty special occurrence or number to me that happened that year. But I mean, like you said, nothing can really take away from uh, the feeling or how cool that one game was. But so if, if that's a fair answer, I guess. No, that's fair. Now, and if I remember, and I think you've told me this in the past interviews about this game, wasn't that like one of the first games that your mom actually saw you play in person? And I know that she was in attendance and that made that game even more special because of that. Yeah, it was, uh, my mom was in town from South Carolina and then my best friend, a girl named Stephanie came, it was her spring break. So she uh, went to school at Wake Forest at the time. So she came to Florida for spring break, knew nothing about the game of softball. She, uh, she was like a a basketball fan and a cheerleader. So she was not like a huge softball fan necessarily she was just coming to hang out and then she was like what in the world do you just hit a home run every time you go up to bat like she had no concept of what was really going on so I remember thinking that was really funny that she was there and that's kind of what she saw to uh, expect which is obviously not real as far as what happens on a normal basis no, no, that's a pretty good game to uh, uh, the pick from. We're speaking with Stephanie Best here on In the Circle on Fast Pitch News. Holds the NCAA record for most RBIs in a game, tied with a bunch of other players, 11 RBIs in a game, uh, th- two grand slams in an inning, two grand slams in a game. All of that happened 15 years ago uh, today. You're still in the top 25 all-time in career home runs. You've hit, 70, you hit 71 career home runs, which is tied for the most – by any player in the state of Florida that's played college softball in the state of Florida, you're tied. Lauren Hager, the great Lauren Hager, tied you with 71. You're both probably going to get passed. At the time that we're recording this, Jesse Warren from Florida State has 70. So um, those are the three most home runs ever hit by a player in the Sunshine State. I don't know if you knew that, but I figured to pass that along. Um, I did not know that, but that makes me smile real big. I love Jesse Warren, so I love the fact that she's the one that's about to break the record. Have you watched her? Have you, awesome. have you saw, have seen her play in person uh, or, or in TV, I guess, would be the even. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I love watching her play. I've seen her play TV and in person. Um, she's just got the X factor. She's got grit. She's got passion. She's so good at the game. She takes pride in it. She studies it. Um, I respect what she is all about I, I you know she's just one of those workhorses uh, and truly loves the game she loves playing the game she loves competing she loves getting better so those are the people that like you get excited about you want them to break your records you want them to have all the success they can I was uh I invited her to come work our camp this past summer just because the energy she exudes and the passion I wanted our kids to get to be around her yeah. Um, so I brought her in this summer, just thankfully to have her a part of uh, what we do with some of the stuff with our kids and just equally as impressed with her as a person all the times that have been around her too, the way she carries herself um, and, and the way she respects herself in her game. Yeah, no, she's a tremendous uh, talent. Uh, all right, so let, let for those that may not be aware, tell the audience, you're from South Carolina, you're in Fort Mill, South Carolina, tell them how you ended up and why you ended up going to UCF to play softball. Oh, good question. Uh, so like you said, I'm from the Carolinas. Um, I was a late bloomer to the whole softball world, essentially. I grew up with two brothers, so I played baseball, and then my junior year uh, in high school, a local coach at Winthrop University encouraged me to play travel ball. 
Um, he's just like, Steph, if, if you want to go play at a high level, you really got to consider playing travel ball. So um, I played travel ball my junior year, and then I got a hitting coach. And then to make that long story short, my hitting coach had uh, was a guy that formerly played in the big leagues, and he had a buddy of his that also played in the big leagues that was going to be taking the hitting coach job at UCF. So he was like, hey, we got this country girl in the Carolinas, and she can hit. She's an athlete. Like, you know, I think you guys should take a look at her. Um, so my senior year, after travel ball, my senior year, uh, Renee, who is still the head coach now, came and watched two games. Uh, first game was probably the worst game of my life. <laughs> and then the second game was one of my better games. So she, thankfully she stuck around for it. We joke to this day. That she said after the first game, she was like, "What did I do? I made a mistake coming all the way here to watch this kid. She's she's not she's not the real deal." Uh, and then thankfully, the second game turned out a little bit better. So we uh, that was kind of the rest is history. We hit it off when we met, and um, I went in a month later for my official recruiting visit, and then committed on my visit. So uh, it was kind of a I, like I said, I was a late bloomer to the process, but then when it all happened, it clicked pretty quickly and uh, was was a night within a month or two of the time frame where Renee had watched us. Renee Lurz Gillespie, you mentioned, and that was at a time where she had just come from Texas Tech. She was starting this UCF program from scratch, so it wasn't like you were walking into a, uh, an established program. You were you were you were the first ever recruit. Uh, you were ever the first to sign at UCF. You were the, the, there. And I know Coach Gillespie has told the story over the years about how you two would uh, be – I think you were standing uh, or sitting down at, at top of the basketball arena and, and envisioning the future of the program, right? And, and you could probably tell the story. But what, uh, what what was that like that you're walking into a program here from scratch? Um, gosh, Elo, it was special. Like that's what made UCF so attractive to attractive to me because – I was recruited by some other schools, um, but it wasn't the same feeling. Like the other schools, Virginia Tech, Florida, and Chapel Hill were kind of my top other choices. Um, But there's really nothing like getting to be a part of making history, or or that's the way I felt. So there was other great established programs, but when you get to get on a plane, you get off the plane and you see palm trees, you know, (laughs) and then you go to campus, campus is beautiful, and then – having the opportunity yeah Renee and I walked up together and we walked up to the top of the arena and there was nothing but trees and she was like if you can envision yourself like my vision is you and I together let's let's build this great program I want you to be our starting shortstop um and I I think you got a really special future and that was I had the same vision too like I could just see where she was coming from um, and I just thought it was so special to get to be a part of the first ever program uh, in history. And I loved her confidence that she had in me um, to be a special part of that. So it, it makes you like everybody's dream, I think, is to go to a school um, where the investment is mutual and the coach and the staff, they want you as bad as you want them. So that was kind of that's what also separated UCF is those other programs. Gosh, they didn't necessarily they didn't need me. They had, they have their pick of the best players in the country. Um, so I thought it was really special to get to be a part of growing something. And, and we were going to get out what we put in and it was a risk, but it was a risk that 
I think, you know, we mutually both wanted to take. So I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, and I think it worked out. You had a great career, four-year career. You led UCF to their first-ever conference championship, the A-Sun Championship in 2005, first NCAA tournament bid in 05 in Gainesville. Uh, you were had three hits, and they eliminated Florida. And you got to be the first player to ever go pro for UCF. You got to be drafted in the NPF. You had a long career in the NPF. And you won an NPF championship with Monica Abbott and the Washington Glory at the time at 2007. Just kind of describe that ride going from conference, you know, playing your career at UCF and then going pro playing with. And it turns out you got to play with one of the greatest players in the history of the sport in Monica Abbott and Kelly Crutchman, I believe, was on that team as well. And you win an MPF championship together. Yeah, I mean, that that was a really special time as well. College, again, for the best years of my life and then getting to transition to playing with literally the best players in the world. Um was truly something special to this day my my closest best friends are all former teammates whether it be from UCF days or whether it be from pro ball days um so it's been a really cool relationship with so many people that I've gotten to carry on but five uh, five of the best years of my life um playing was it was an extremely humbling experience you know when you're getting to play with the very best of the best you're uh in my experience anyways you're not going to be as successful it's not going to come as easily um so i remember just there was there was definitely there's struggling times and challenges but that's when you're just appreciative you're on a team sport your teammates are picking you up um and again it's just fun to watch like you said i had the opportunity teammates of mine have been kat osterman they've been monica abbott it's been the kelly crutchman's it's been just those powerhouse type players that you get to learn from just by watching them compete. You know, what are they doing differently? What are they doing that makes them so successful? So um, I just think I got to learn so much from my peers, which was a really neat and uh, special opportunity. On that last thing, uh, I mentioned earlier, obviously you were inducted into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame in 2015. You were the first softball player uh, ever inducted uh, into that Hall of Fame. Hopefully, though, uh, you be you'll have some you know teammates soon. Some other UCF players will be joining you soon uh, when they return that Hall of Fame. I know it's been uh, delayed a little bit, but uh, hopefully they'll be on the Hall of Fame. You're honored in the left field. Uh, on the UCF softball complex. So anybody that's ever gone to UCF softball complex, you look at the left field by the foul pole area. That's one of the reasons I call it the best pole is they honor you. <laughs> they have your number three there. They have the Hall of Fame, you know, the accomplishments you did there. And, you know, every year now when new players come in there, they look at that and they're, they're Marvel. And I know every year, you you know, when you get a chance to come to you, they kind of kind of surround you. What What would you tell the young people, you know, years from now when they see that on the wall and they're like, wow. What, what, what was Stephanie Best like? Why, why would you want people to know you as far as Stephanie Best, the player uh, and, and, the, and the UCF player and, and your career? How would you do, want people to remember you by? Um, gosh, uh, that's a great question. I, I think hopefully just a good person all around, great friend, um, and then just a true competitor. Um. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm still best friends with a lot of my teammates, and I think we just were able to do a lot of really cool things together um, that made us really appreciate what we got to do there. So I would, the, the biggest thing is, I don't know, I, I hope stories would continue to be passed along that people just know how much fun we got to have when we played. 
Yeah. Um, and, and we were just competitive. We thankfully were still in the generation that everybody just played with a ton of grit, a ton of passion. Um, so because of that, like we truly got to have four of the best years of our life there. So I would, I would just hope that people and any stories that were passed down were just what a competitor I was and how I played with passion, uh, maybe too much sometimes, um, which got me in a little bit of trouble. But outside of that, I mean, I just, for the best years of my life, and I just hope every every UCFer gets to experience similar mirror, uh, memories and just competing with some of their best friends, um, making history with some of their best friends. I mean, there's just really nothing like it. So if, if they're competing and playing with passion, I mean, they're, they're in the right doing the right thing already. Is that what kind of comes in your mind? Because I know when you've gone in the past, uh, recently in the stadium, you stare at that wall, that you see it, you know where it is. Is that what kind of triggers in your head when you see that? When you when and then the, in the future, when you go back and you see that wall and you see that you're right there, you're still there in the in left field. Teammates, yeah, immediately. Like when I think of myself in a jersey, I think of my teammates. Um, that is, it's just what's so neat about the experience. And any athlete is going to tell you that, like, if we chose a team sport, it was intentional, um, because we love the camaraderie. We love sharing other people's success. We love competing for a common goal. So, um, I mean, the banner is by far one of the coolest things. Uh, it's, uh, it's so neat. Like I literally just got a text two days ago from a coach that was there, like, I've got so many friends in the coaching industry, so when people come in town and they play at UCF, uh, it's it's one of those things because because UCF and you and Renee continue to allow us to have a part to do um, with the stadium even. It's such a special thing because although I'm not over there a lot, it makes me feel like I still belong uh, in a weird way. So it's just – it's really special – Getting to see it—it's just this feeling of all right. This, this was my school. I mean, that's still who has my heart. Um, a lot of my growth, a lot of my success, challenges, everything happened with UCF. So um, I don't know. It, it's it's like a pretty cool visual that that you feel a lot of things. But my teammates, of course, always like Janae probably the best example every time we get together it's like we never left you we still talk about all the funny things that happened um so you just have those special memories that it it just doesn't matter how long it's been or how much time has gone by it'll be like oh remember that time this happened or that happened yeah no that's uh tremendous and trust me you're all over that field i mean not only are you in the left field wall but they've revamped uh, the uh, hallways inside the clubhouse where the players go in and the coaches go in by their offices and there's a hallway for people that may not have never been there and now they've created this hallway where they have a lot of the former great players that have played in that program you're in there and then on the other side of that wall, there's a the section where they have all the conference championship teams, which includes your 05 team. And there's an NPF section where all the NPF players that have played at UCF, which includes yourself, uh, your jersey is in a frame is, is up there with Kaylee Novak, who played. Shelby Turnier is currently playing for the Chicago Bandits. Allison Kime, who played at Rockford. And Brianne Javier, who played uh, with USSA there. So yeah, the point is, you're all over the place. So <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think people are forgetting you anytime soon. I'm just going to go on a little. Well, I'm, I'm thankful. I think when – I think it's such a tough thing when – 
when our four years are up and we graduate, it's a lot of our identity had to do with being an athlete on campus and you're so much a part of everything uh, by default. So I think it's tough for us older ones to really know when's the right time to be involved or when can you come by that you're not stepping on toes. And it just feels weird because when you're no longer a part of the team, again, that's what made you feel so secure. That's what made you feel so comfortable and excited. So when you kind of come in as an individual, uh, it's, it's not as comfortable. So to know that the school still wants you to be a part of it or still supports the alumni, um, you know, and has special things up, like you mentioned, a lot of the other girls, that's, it means a lot to us because it helps us be like, no, it's okay. Even though we're technically not on the current team, like, it's still okay to come by. It's still okay because we are we are a part of the Knights, which is a cool thing. Yeah. No, so you don't I... have to thank, you'll have to thank the decision makers for us on that because <laughs> I can promise you we're all extremely appreciative to just get to be a part of the facility. Uh, well, I know the head starts with the head coach. <laughs> I think you know her well. Coach G knows that it yep. <laughs> kind of stops there. So uh, there, I, I, among others, I, they've made those decisions. And, and by the way, this is coming up the 15th year anniversary of the NPF. So you might get honored there as well with your career that you distinguished in the NPF. You played there for four. So, so you, you're going to be honored a lot this, uh, this year. So just keep some of your calendar dates because I have a feeling <laughs> people are going to be from NPF. People are just contacting you. So Stephanie Best joining us here. If you now where it's from Pro Swings, you can check it out at proswings.com for all the details on that, on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, as she mentioned. 15 years ago this week, 15 years ago, March 19, 2003, she set three NCAA records that still hold today with three grand, uh, two grand slams in an inning, two grand slams in a game, and 11 RBIs in a win against Army. All those three NCAA records still hold today. Stephanie Best, thank you for joining us on your anniversary. Congrats. Happy anniversary. Um, hopefully we do this, uh, you know, every five years for anniversary. Talk about this record, right? Uh, I love it. Thank you, Elo. Thanks so much for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Well, that was Eric Lopez with uh, Stephanie Best. You can catch uh, more of that on uh, In the Circle, uh, which is uh, the softball uh, podcast that uh, he runs for uh, Fast Pitch News. Uh, fastpitchnews.com. So, and Eric does a great job there uh, for them. And it's just been, um, I mean, he is, he's becoming the Peter Gammons of college softball. And it's kind of frightening a little bit. But anyway, well, actually, I wouldn't say Peter Gammons. I'd, I'd call him more like Buster Olney, right? Because, you know, he's, 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 uh, you know, he, he's not, you know, reporter notebook guy, you know, with a, with a golf pencil. He's, you know, he's out there with, you know, you know, recording podcasts and taking care of business in, uh, uh, in the modern fashion. So, um, sure. so we thank Eric uh, and the folks at Fast Pitch News for that. Uh, be sure to check them out. Also, in the Circle SB on Twitter if you want to follow that. So, all right. Back to you, Brian Murphy. Hey. So we, <laughs> we, so <laughs> Stephanie Best, 11 RBIs in a game in 2003 against Army, two grand slams in one inning. I'm not that's that's add, the that's that that's called the Fernando Tatis. The free, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. Do, didn't he do it from both sides of the plate? No, no, he was only right there, but he did it off the. I believe both of them came off Chanho Park. Okay, well, yeah, Chanho. Yeah, though everyone loves Chanho Park, but anyway, um, the, the let me ask you this because we're trying. Eric and I are trying to compile this for possibly a little listicle that we're going to do on the banneret and. We've been asking everybody around, so I'll ask you. 
when you th- if I put out there, name me some of the greatest individual single game performances that you've ever seen by a UCF athlete. Um, obviously, Stephanie Best comes to mind, but what comes to mind in your opinion? Because you're kind of a little bit of a younger generation guy around here than than uh, than me and Eric, us old fogies around here. So wait, how old are you, Jeff? <laughs> I'm 34. So you're a year older than me. Well, you're a year older than me. Yeah. You know, but I mean, well, listen, nobody's perfect here. But anyway, saying I'm a younger generation. I mean, yeah. I appreciate it, but I just want to correct. I'm, listen, I'm giving correct. you, I'm giving you some credit here. This is- I, agree. I, I understand, but like, you know, I got I'm a, I'm a, I'm a true journalist. I search for truth and justice. But generation anyway. is such a is such a fungible term anyway. But but anyway, greatest individual performances in any sport, single game. What comes yes. to mind? Uh, you know, I'm going to steal one from Eric. The uh, the game that Kevin Smith had uh, in the uh, was it the conference championship game against Tulsa? Yeah, where I believe he had two fifty seven and four. This is off the top of my head. I have not I have not looked that stat up, but like it sounds right. Uh, I think he had two two fifty seven and four in a conference championship game. Uh, I would go with Brandon Marshall in the two thousand and five Hawaii Bowl, mm-hmm. who had more than two hundred yards and a few touchdowns. Um, you know, for for football, that that really stands out to me. Yeah. Smith uh, had for bas- two eighty four and four in that game. Yeah, I mean, really, just put up some put up some numbers, why don't you? Um, so those two things that I thought stood out to me. I, I would say even Mackenzie Milton versus Memphis, even though he threw a couple of interceptions that almost lost him the game. But let's not talk about that because it didn't happen. <laughs> um, because like he basically was their entire offense. And I believe I'm correct in saying he had like 3,500 yards of total offense by himself in that one game. We'll just we'll just go with that. Not fact check it again. True journalism. (laughs) Uh, And he had like 10,000 touchdowns. It was that was a really statistically a fantastic performance. Basketball, um, you know, you had Bo Clark scored 70 points in a game. Now, again, I know this is before like the D1 era. By the way, that was before the three point line, too. Yeah. I don't care. You score 70. It's still like it's still 70 in a college game. Like it's still pretty good. It doesn't happen. Yeah. No. Um, I would say Matt Williams hitting 11 threes in a game against USF, no less, last January, January 2017. Um, You know, this is total recency bias. But uh, I would say A.J. Davis against Wichita State uh, just uh, just earlier this month in March. Uh, where he was the best player on the court on a court that had Landry Shamit and Shaq Morris. Uh, he hit like six of nine threes. He had like double digit rebounds. He blocked a few shots. He had some steals. He scored thir- more than 30 points. It was really like one of like, so obviously we know it's one of the last games that AJ's had in his career. And one of those games you sort of look back on like, wow, that was, that was the AJ Davis game. There's no doubt that was the AJ Davis game. Um, you know, baseball, I've had a hard time sort of going through it, but I believe like Chris Duffy. Um, so obviously he had some big hits. I think 2004, uh, he had a big, uh, big game against FSU and NCAA regional. But uh, there was a, a Golden Spikes Award in that year in which he was nom- He was one of the five nominees for the Golden Spikes and the other four. For again, the best college baseball player in America were Chris Duffy, Yasmani Grandal, 
Drew Pomeranz, Chris Sale, Bryce Harper. Not bad. Okay. So just saying, like, it wasn't a single game, but for a year, Chris Duffy was as good, yeah. theoretically, yeah, that as was Bryce 20, Harper. 2010 was that 2010. year. Yeah, 2010 okay. was that year. So, um yeah, uh, I think I was. Th- I think I was thinking of D Brown against FSU. Yeah, D Brown had. Yeah, that's right. D Brown had that huge game against FSU. Um, she was really good. Duffy had that. It, yeah, I mean there was there was that one Duffy game that he had. Um, I, I'm I'm going to go with volleyball. Um, I had uh, I went back in the archives a little bit um, just to kind of check out um, like what were some of the greatest offensive performances and. In UCF volleyball history, and you know when I came in in 2002 uh, or 2001, rather, Leray Sante Asante was the best player on the team. Her career high for kills in a game was 35 in a match against Stephen F. Austin uh, in September of 02. But you look back at the archives, and the name that pops up everywhere is Renata Menchikova. She played in uh, 94. Uh, 95, 96, 97, around that era. And she has the top five all-time kill performances for UCF, and she's tied for seventh as well. Um, Her all-time best was on October 26th of 1996 when she had 42 kills against Clemson. She had 40 against Georgia in September of 95, the year before. But here's what I think is quite remarkable is in 1995, she posted th- uh, three of the top four individual single-game kill performances for a UCF volleyball player in the span of one month. Uh, mm. September 27th of 95, 40 kills against Georgia. October 8th of 95, 38 kills against Clemson. October 24th of 95, 39 kills against USF. Uh, and that should give you sort of a, uh, an indication for how good Renata Menchikova um, was uh, in her day. Um, it, you know, and it's easy for us to forget, but every once in a while she'll drop by UCF Volleyball. We'll see her. Um, as far as recently... Um, Jayla Hervey had 34 kills against UC Irvine in 2015. That's been the most recent entry on the top 10 of single matches. Um, but you know, that's that's kind of where it sort of ends as far as as far as I know. I, I haven't seen – I'm pretty sure Sharia Davis had some pretty good performances for UCF women's basketball, but um, I haven't seen uh, – and, of course, Zai Lewis has had some pretty, has had some pretty big games, but um, – but this is where we, the Black and Gold Banneret, need your UCF fans' help. Uh, because we want to, um, you know, especially some of you old-timers out there who might be listening to this, or if you know somebody, some friends out there are doing this, send, uh, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, facebook.com slash Banneret or UCF underscore Banneret. If you remember some great individual performances in any UCF sport that, re- that we really need to know, um, that for this for this list, go let us know. Uh, Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Any other ones that you remember? 
I'm sure there's some think. pitching performances. You know, probably Jason Arnold probably had a couple of them. <clears throat> Matt Fox, I, mean, I remember, had. Yeah, I mean, you could you could go back and sort of yeah. look at like Matt Fox or Tim Bascom. Yeah, I'm mean, certainly had some big performances. Um, Matt Fox had one performance when he, at Jacksonville, and you know, uh, Jason Baum, who used to work at, work at UCF and now works, I believe, at Boston College. He was there with me that day where, where they literally had to drag Matt Fox off the bus. He was so sick um, for this conference game against, at Jacksonville, and he just pitched a gem uh, at Jacksonville. I mean, where they, were, they, were, they almost had to help him back to the dugout. I remember he was that ill. It must have been the Michael Jordan flu. But, um, but I, I remember that one specifically. I don't know if anybody else does, but I, I do remember that one specifically. Mm-hmm. I should go look at, like, you know, even, like, men's tennis, which was sort of had a, a soft spot in my heart uh, back in the or mid-2000s or um, some of the, you know, men's soccer. I mean, women's soccer got to be some, some big times you know, single single game performances that we haven't mentioned yet, but just because of the success of that program, yeah, uh, you know, again, I mean, we're, we're we haven't even talked about like you know, Michelle Akers and you know, any yeah, I mean, probably scored like a gazillion goals in one game, probably. Yeah. I mean, again, it's probably not far off from the actual number, right? So, so you know. this is why we need your help. And by the way, UCF players, coaches, holler at us, let us know what the great ones were because there's so many of them out there. We want to know what they were, so. Uh, all right, let's uh, finish up real quick. I just want to update uh, uh, update us on a couple things here, uh, real quick. Uh, oh, some news from football. Um, UCF has scheduled. Obviously, we talked about um, uh, spring practice starting. I, I think spring practice is the most overcovered thing in the face of the planet, and so I'm not going to really talk that much <laughs> about it. But um, you know, I'm probably I'm probably going to write about it this weekend. So just yeah. just. Hold on to your butts. I, I mean, that that's cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm all for that. But um, uh, they announced a little scheduling news. They announced the home and home with Louisville uh, for uh, I believe what was it 2020 2021. Uh, yeah, it was it 2021 2022 again. Uh, gotcha. You know, get you know the whole get your facts straight is really like I need to I, be I put on said, yeah, the headboard. Yeah, 21 and 22. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Hey, look, we got our facts right. It's on the record. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it, 2021 will be the first meeting between the two since um, since the famed uh, game uh, 2013 game uh, 38-35, which was the game that um, uh, boy that last UCF drive. Were, yeah, UCF ruined Louisville's wrecked championship Louisville's, hopes. Yeah, wrecked Louisville's BCS crashing hopes and. Mm-hmm. Um, and in turn, I, I think that game, you know, it, it didn't just vault UCF into national attention that year, you know, it, that ended up being the Fiesta Bowl year. But I think really started this new uh, sort of maybe it didn't start a new era, but kick started something with UCF football that really gave that, you know, boosted it to this year. I know everyone's going to say, you know, well, what about 0-12? I almost think you have to throw that out as the outlier of all outliers, you know, and, and, uh, and UCF will get another shot at Louisville, um, 21 and 22. Um, mm-hmm. it'll be, uh, at Papa John's Cardinal stadium on September 18th, 2021 
And then at Spectrum Stadium on September 17th, 364 days later, 2022. Um, This is what I wanted to ask you about this. So now on the schedule, uh, UCF has um, North Carolina. Mm Mm-hmm. Had Georgia Tech last year um, missed out? They will ha- and they'll have Georgia Tech again in 2020. Yeah, they'll have Georgia Tech in 2020. Louisville in 2021 and 22. North Carolina in 24 and 25. Um, Pitt and in Pitt's- 2019. Yeah. And, and also, of course, this coming year. So, gee, Brian Murphy, a lot of ACC schools popping up on this schedule. Why is I mean, that? It- it works so well. I mean, they're already in the AAC. <laughs> all you need to do is take all of them, all of the merchandise, stitch out one letter for a letter that already exists in the name, and you're set. I mean, this is the easiest conversion in the history of sports, as maybe do, Bill Wolf would say. Do I dare speculate that come the next round of conference realignment, that the ACC gives UCF and USF a call. Probably. I would say that I would say that they look you, you need to also still be good. Um <laughs> so there's that. But I think That'll someone help. made a fun, Yeah, I think someone made a funny point on Twitter about like, you know, the the oh, one of the national headlines was that from I think from like Brett McMurphy or one of the guys who covers uh, college football and said that you Louisville uh, or you know UCF bolsters its out of conference schedule by by host by you know by putting Louisville on their schedule, um you know in 2021. and someone else I think shot back like no Louisville bolstered their out of conference schedule <laughs> by putting yeah. UCF on it. Um, we'll see. I mean you, you got to still be good and and yeah, I mean but I think financially we you know kind of coming full circle on what we hit on the top of this program like. Financially, this 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 athletic department is is in is in good shape. The program is in great shape because of what's happened over the last uh, five months. Um, so that always helps. Even if you stumble, even if you have a bad year, you're this 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 program this 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 team is still athletic is still financially viable. Yeah, it's got a huge. Obviously, we know it's got a huge alumni base. Um, so it's always going to help with ratings and attendance. Well. Maybe not attendance, but you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'm done. I'm done with that. That was my last. That was literally my last jab at UCF attendance ever. If it's not, I will. I don't know. I'll, we'll make it. We'll make something up. But um, but no, I, you know, if they're, if they're still competitive, uh, yeah, I think they'd at least give them a call. Right. Um, but we'll see. I'm not. I'm. I'm not in the business saying they should. They definitely will take it or whatever. Like. I, we'll I just see think that there's been this, some speculation floating around about Florida State and the Big Twelve. Like you know that that was a thing for about five minutes. If it if it really popped up, you know that that I, I just found that I just found that interesting. So, but anyway, I want to recap real quick a couple things before we go. Um, men's tennis. Um, they uh, earlier uh, on Wednesday knocked off Arkansas five to two. And beat Miami four to three, um, and Indiana this week. So um, the men's tennis teams won four in a row, all against power six opponents: uh, Minnesota, Indiana, Miami, Arkansas. They have Princeton coming up on Friday before they travel out to Oklahoma State on March the thirtieth. Then they have three matches in the American before the American Athletic Conference 
uh, championship. Women's tennis, uh, on the other hand, uh, they are, by the way, men's tennis, I should mention, is uh, they've bumped their record up to eight and six with that four match win streak. Women's tennis right now, 12 and two, uh, coming off of their victory over East Carolina, um, or excuse me, uh, off their victory over Clemson, I'm sorry, uh, uh, earlier on Wednesday as well, a four to three win over Clemson down at Lake Nona as well. They have uh, the, the Ivy League circuit coming up. Yale and Brown, Yale this Thursday, and then Brown on Tuesday, uh, followed by FIU. That's at home as well before they head out on the road to Tampa to play uh, USF. They have three more matches after USF before uh, American Athletic Conference championship play in Dallas. All right, let's wrap it up, Brian Murphy. What do you have coming up uh, this week? Uh, I will, like I said, I had an article. I will have an article on the site uh, before Friday's uh, conference opener about that conference series against East Carolina for UCF baseball and the, uh, you know, the long-awaited finish of the John Uliano Park expansion. Um, and uh, I believe I'll be writing a little bit about spring practice, which I went to this week. Uh, yeah, like I said, like and like you said, you you love it so much. I mean, I know you said you you don't, but I'm reading right through I it. Almost uh, like it as much as National Signing Day. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, you know, we talked to some players and Josh Heupel. So I'll have a little bit on that and uh, and some other stuff that I'm currently working on. Cool, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I know that at least I'll get my spring football fix from you, Brian. So uh, that's probably all. It's been that's really all your desire at this point. <laughs> I'll be uh, at the game on Friday night. Um, I'm taking my son, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I won't be in the press box, obviously, but um, but uh, it'll be nice to be there. Hoping to get some photos out there, um, and uh, yeah, like we said, it should be uh, should be a good time coming up uh, as we as UCF op- uh, Grand opens the. Or opens in grand. I don't know how you. What? Can you turn grand opening into a verb? It. How do you do that? I don't know how to describe it because the stadium's already open. Right. It's, it's not the. Open. It's not the grand. It's not the grand opening of the John Uliano Park. It's been open since February. Right. So my, I, I think I'm going to say. Has that been? But the soft open though, you know, you know yeah, how you open yeah. up like a like a new store. Right. Right. So this is like the grand completion of the John Juliano Park expansion, which is just too many words to describe a certain one particular thing, but I, that's the best I've got. Well, it should be a big night, though, for the baseball program. I, I've been hearing that a lot of folks, um, you know, a lot of alumni are going to be there, uh, so I'm interested to see who's going to be coming out to that. So it should be a lot of fun. All right. So, uh, and oh, by the way, folks, uh, uh, in particular you, Brian, where can everyone reach out to you? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> Did I catch uh, you off guard on that? No, I mean, well, you kind of put it out there at the top of the show. So I figured, I don't know, do we need to drop our Twitter handles twice? Yes, constantly. Okay. Yes, that's, okay. Uh, promotion oh, 101, brother. Yeah. Um, so I'm at Spokes underscore Murphy. If you like UCF baseball, you probably know this already because. I'm like, you know, like last week, John Nuliano came up to me and was like, hey, whenever I'm not at the games, I'm always on your Twitter feed. 
like you you're great at this and like i'm just i'm just writing 100 280 characters it's not that hard but like if you like, been like cool people, can you name the press can you name the press box after me you know <laughs> yeah i mean ian ian's already saved me a seat which i feel like is redundant uh ian mcdougall our sid is said he's already saved me a seat in the press box but again that's sort of redundant um you know so i i am at spokes underscore murphy and I will be tweeting out things mostly about hashtag sports. Uh, now that the Oscars are over, it's mostly just sports. It'll be a lot of baseball, both pro and college from here on out. Um, and whatever comes to mind, who knows? Cool, cool. And you can hit me up at uh, Jeff underscore Sharon as well. Don't forget, you can uh, you can holler at us at UCF underscore banner on Twitter and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash black and gold banner and it was always on black and gold tell your friends about our podcast uh make sure you have it head on over to uh apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast give us a, a rating a subscribe uh we are on apple podcast google play soundcloud stitcher and tune in brian thanks again brother good night jeffrey all right and thanks to you for listening this has been the black and gold banner podcast we will catch you again next week